The Daily Rios Digest, Volume 2, Saturday, January 7th, 2023. Rios, don't wait until it's too late. Fire! Hey everybody, this is your host Peter with the 27th Digest of this second volume, covering Monday, January 2nd through Friday, January 6th, 2023. Marvel Saga Monday, the official history of the Marvel Universe, taking a look at issue 14 by writer-researcher Peter Sanderson with a cover by Keith Pollard and Al Williamson. On the cover, we have a whole bunch of blurbs. This issue, the X-Men's first battle with their ultimate foes, Magneto's Brotherhood of the Evil Mutants. And that team of evil mutants is on the cover in a recreation of X-Men number four, the cover to X-Men number four by Kirby and George Rousseau. And that's where we also get another blurb, plus the origins of Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Plus, the Fantastic Four's cataclysmic first meeting with the X-Men, which is a reinterpretation of one of the panels inside Fantastic Four number 28. Plus, Spider-Man's first battles with the Hulk and the Green Goblin, the Goblin's origin, the Avengers, the debuts of the Enchantress and the Executioner, and much more. And then your back cover has Daredevil battling the Owl and Electro, which is a mashup of, you know, his encounters with the villain with the villains in issue two and three. Spider-Man punching the Hulk as the Green Goblin looks on, which is from Amazing Spider-Man 14, and El Diablo and the Fantastic Four from a panel inside issue 30 of the Fantastic Four. All the information in this chapter is pulled from Amazing Spider-Man 14, 15, and 40, X-Men 4, 5, and 6, Avengers 7 and 186, Journey into Mystery 103, 105, and 107, Amazing Adventures, the third series, number 8, from 1980, Fantastic Four 27, 28, and 30, Marvel Collector's Item Classics 19, from 1969, Daredevil 2 and 3, and Strange Tales 123. Basically, all of these stories are from the first half of 1964. So issue 14, titled Book 14, Confrontations. The splash page is new artwork by Keith Pollard, based on Amazing Spider-Man 14, with Green Goblin and the Enforcers plotting against Spider-Man. Pages 2 through 3, we see the origin of the Green Goblin, including, as we've been learning throughout the saga, that you, again, should never have a business partner within the Marvel Universe, because Norman basically frames his partner, Mendel Strom, sends him to jail, and then bogarts his chemical formulas, and that's how he becomes the Green Goblin. And that character of Strom was in the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man. And as we mentioned before, as you see the Green Goblin's costume, there's that green and purple color scheme on full display for yet another Marvel villain. Pages 4 through 8 continues that first encounter between Spider-Man and Goblin, as well as the Enforcers, and Spider-Man's first meetup with the Hulk. 
And it all happens because the Green Goblin set up Spider-Man to be in a movie. A movie in New Mexico. And that's how, obviously, they get involved with the Hulk. That setup is just like Namor uh, setting up the Fantastic Four to be in a movie because they were broke. So Stan Lee, you know, reusing his his ways to get characters to fight or team up or to go to some location. And then this part wraps up with the saga mentioning that even after the Green Goblin's death, his legacy will live on in the form of the character of Hobgoblin, which was a mystery running throughout the Spider-Man books uh, as of 1983 and certainly during the time that this issue uh, was released. Pages 8 through 11, we have Magneto gathering the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and we get the origins of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver as of 1986, anyway. Uh, So they were the twin children of Magneto and a woman named Magda, who flees from Magneto and winds up at Wondergore Mountain, where the High Evolutionary was stationed. And she gives birth to the twins with Bova, the the humanoid cow, as her midwife. And the saga states, Fearing discovery by her husband, Magda fled, leaving the children behind. And her fate still remains a mystery as of 1986. Honestly, I don't even know what became of her. And, you know, the... The origins of these two characters have been twisted and turned so many years. I think even now, to this day, they're still mucking about. So the saga continues and says, eventually the Wizard and Miss America, uh, they also arrived at the High Evolutionary's doorstep. And they agree to take on the twins, but Miss America, Madeline Frank, she dies in childbirth. And Robert, the wizard, he just basically abandons his promise, leaving the twins to eventually think of them as their parents, even though they, I don't know, how long did they actually spend time with them? Um, uh, Obviously, this was because of, you know, you could make the connections between Quicksilver and Wizard being speedsters. Uh, And then the High Evolutionary goes to a couple known as the Maximoffs and tells them that they have to care for the twins which is eventually how they eventually wind up in the clutches of Magneto. So this is, um, you know, the saga really having to bounce around for this origin tale. And it definitely goes to show how convoluted some stories can be as they they go from, you know, decade to decade to decade. And as as I mentioned, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, you know, they're still being worked on to this day. Pages 11 through 14, we get the Enchantress, one of my favorite Marvel villains, in a story about Loki trying to work Odin over, uh, you know, to break up Thor and the Jane Foster relationship, throwing Enchantress in the mix. We get the first appearance of Scourge the Executioner. Enchantress is trying to get Don Blake to love her. Uh, Scourge wants wants to take his hammer And, of course, Thor wins out in the end. There wasn't much to that sequence. Pages 14 through 15, more uh, confrontations between the X-Men and the First Brotherhood of Evil Evil Mutants, using the cover to the 1980 Amazing Adventures number 8 issue, 
by Al Milgram and Irv Watanabe, and the saga points out that Quicksilver was a deciding factor in this confrontation, turning against the Brotherhood but not fully abandoning them just yet. Pages 15 through 16, another Fantastic Four versus Namor story, again with an abduction of Sue, uh, you know, Namor trying to win her love. This time, the Fantastic Four goes up against Namor with the aid and the first meeting of Doctor Strange with, uh, with the Fantastic Four. And apparently, Sue finally puts her foot down and says her sympathy and affection for Namor is only that, and that her true love will always be Reed. We shall see. Uh, the image that they use here is the Kirby cover to Marvel Collector's Item Classics 19, which is basically Kirby just recreating his own cover to Fantastic Four 27. And also for the first time, I think, the saga ends one of these sequences in an odd place. It's not at the bottom of the page. It's not ending at the you know full top half of the page. It's ending, you turn the page, and then it ends with the first panel in the top left corner, which I thought was an odd placement as I was reading. Page 16, we get Daredevil versus Electro, and the saga states that Electro is the first superpowered criminal he has ever met, uh, which made me curious as to why they felt the need to specify that. If, I don't know, maybe Daredevil was meant to be, you know, a grounded character, uh, street level, if you will, although he has powers, he has a radar sense. So, um, again, I don't know why the saga decided to, to mention that. Pages six, 16 through 19, another matchup between the X-Men and the Brotherhood, this time on Magneto's Asteroid M, one of those Marvel locations I always liked. And this time, it's the Scarlet Witch that goes against Magneto. And I guess between Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, this is all, you know, maybe early signs that they could become something more, something bigger, something greater, as we will see. And maybe Stan Lee just took a, a liking to these characters and wanted to make them something more than just villains. Pages 19 through 22, now it's time for the X-Men and the Fantastic Four to meet. We already had the Fantastic Four and Avengers, Fantastic Four and Doctor Strange, obviously. The saga title of Confrontation certainly lives up to its meaning with this issue. And the team meets all because the puppet master, at the request of the Mad Thinker, takes over Professor X. Because it's still a secret that he's the leader of the mutant team, but the Mad Thinker thinks, okay, there has to be a leader, and his head is shaped like this, although they don't ever really learn his identity, at least initially. So um, the Puppet Master takes over Professor Xavier. I can't imagine it, can, it could be that easy nowadays. And basically you get the Fantastic Four versus the X-Men, and eventually they team up and battle the awesome android, and that's uh, really all that the saga spotlights. Pages 23 through 26, we go to the Avengers corner of the Marvel Universe. Captain America is still mourning Bucky, and he is not happy when Rick Jones walks in wearing a Bucky costume. There's a lot of early guilt and grief for Captain America, 
And I wondered if that was Stanley's way of putting one of those Marvel flaws onto the character, because that's, you know, he was created um, before this Marvel age, right? You had you had the arrogance of Doctor Strange, you had some of the arrogance for Tony Stark, um, you know, Bruce Banner wasn't in control of his change, you had all these characters that had some kind of what would eventually be known as the Marvel flaw, so I wondered if this, this was something that could weigh heavily on Captain America during these early appearances. We get another matchup with the Masters of Evil, this time with some crossover flavor, right? If you have the Avengers and they are a mix of all of Marvel's headliners, then it only makes sense to bring in some of their villains, which happens here in the story as they bring in Enchantress and Executioner, Executioner sh shortly after their first appearance with Thor. And it's, uh, it's early in Marvel history, you can tell, because the heroes lose. You know, Captain America gets knocked out. The uh, everybody escapes. You know, maybe not totally unharmed, but everything ends kind of like as a stalemate. And you know, it's not always the heroes that are going to win. Pages twenty-seven through twenty-nine. This is all a series of one-panel vignettes because you know by now the Marvel universe has just gotten so big, and they want to touch on everyone, touch on major events, but they can't go super, super deep into each story anymore. So you got the first appearance of Craven, which is, uh, uh, you know, the, the saga reprinting the cover to Amazing Spider-Man 15. You have the first team-up of two of Thor's foes, Hydra and Cobra, from Journey into Mystery 105. You have the X-Men and Brotherhood of Evil fighting over Namor because everybody thinks now he everybody thinks he's a mutant, which he is. That was confirmed in one of his earliest appearances uh, within the saga. We have Daredevil versus the Owl from Daredevil number three cover, Human Torch versus the Beetle, Doctor Strange versus Loki. I think both of those are from the cover to Strange Tales 123. And then you have Thor again and the first appearance of the Grey Gargoyle. And all of this just goes to show the power of these covers, most of them by Kirby, some of them by Ditko, um, and how those cover covers really told the story that was needed by the saga, right? You wanted to introduce Craven and show how much... Uh, of a foe he was for Spider-Man and how he went about to capture Spider-Man, then you use the cover, you know? Um, yeah, I, I just thought that was really great, uh, you know, seeing these pages, how quickly they have to go through these stories, and yet you can read the narration, but you can also get some of the story from the images as well. And then pages 29 through 32, we end with the Fantastic Four and Diablo, another green and purple villain, and this is another focus on the things longing to be human so that he can date Alicia Masters. So he makes a deal with Diablo uh, after breaking him out of a, an imprisonment that Diablo was in for decades. Um, Thing wants to be human. And he says, you know, if, if you work for me for a year, I will turn you fully into a human. And that's where the saga ends with the Fantastic Four trying to rescue Thing or at least trying to smack some sense into his head. 
And then uh, one other thing here in the back uh, inside cover, the Marvel Saga has what's called the Continuity Corner Box, which I think I talked about, you know, one or two times before. Basically, it's every other comic <laughs> that is going on between the things that they highlight within the saga. So really, just some minor confrontations and issues that don't warrant being covered. But one of the things they mentioned, and they did briefly mention this within the saga, is that Iceman and Human Torch met for the first time in Strange Tales 120. I don't know. I think that's kind of a major meetup, you know, a major confrontation, a major meetup between a fire character and an ice character. Um, so I wanted to give it mention, even if the saga did not. So yeah, that's it. That's it for Marvel Saga, Marvel Saga issue 14. We will pick up in another two digests with Marvel Saga 15. Timeline Trivia Tuesday, taking a look at some anniversaries and some first issues and some other uh, noteworthy comics uh, from uh, from the month of January. We're in a new year, January 2023, so we are going to take a look back 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and 30 years ago for this particular segment, and then I will do the other years, 40, 50, and 60, in another digest. So this is not only some comic history, but some trivia as well, based on one of the things I pick uh, for one of the anniversaries. So you know how this goes. Um, we start off 10 years ago, January of 2013. It's crazy to think, it's crazy to think that we're in 2023, first of all, but also 10 years ago was 2013 and not like, you know, 1993. Uh, anyway, uh, 10 years ago, January 2013, from Dark Horse, we had Answer, number one of four, which was a miniseries by Dennis Hopeless, Mike Norton, Chris Crank, Mark Englert, and it's about a librarian named Devin McKenzie, who receives a 3D combination puzzle that leads her to a deeper mystery where she becomes a target until the answer arrives. And that was just one of those fun miniseries, you know, we all wanted to support Mike Norton, and it was great that it had come out, um, and it was a fun series. Also from Dark Horse, Star Wars number one, this was a series that would last 20 issues, started with Brian Wood, Carlos Standa, and Michael Heisler, it would take place between A New Hope and Empire, and eventually the franchise would move to Marvel in 2015. But I remember this series being something that readers really liked because they put Luke in the yellow jacket that he wore at the end of A New Hope. And it was like, oh, finally we get to see him use, you know, this... Um, this costuming, which I don't know, did did he use that costuming in the Marvel Star Wars comics? I never read them. Maybe they did, but that was something that stood out, you know, 20, uh, 10 years ago. Also, 10 years ago, Invincible 100 with Marvel Now. We had some new titles this month Morbius the Living Vampire, which wasn't all that great. New Avengers by Hickman and Steve Epting, which was a companion to his other Avengers title. Savage Wolverine by Frank Cho, Superior Spider-Man number one, Uncanny X-Force number one, and Young Avengers number one. 
And then finally, 10 years ago, and this is where your question is going to come in, Injustice, Gods Among Us, number one, was a DC digital series, you know, um, promoting and and kind of like a companion to the video game, the very popular video game. This was this first chapter was by Tom Taylor, Jeremy Rappick, and Wes Abbott, and Andrew Elder. The digital chapters would last 36 issues and that or 36 chapters, and they would collect three, yeah, three of those chapters within one print issue. So the print issue lasted for 12 issues. Um, if you don't know what this is, it's a prequel to the video game of the same name. It takes place in an alternate reality where Superman becomes basically a villain following the death of his family at the hands of the Joker. And then you have the Justice League who are split between Superman, who is trying to create some kind of regime, and Batman who wants to form an insurgency. Um, and as I mentioned, it was written by Tom Taylor, and it would have a number of spinoffs. Uh, and he would have a number of artists that he would work with, including Bruno Redondo, in an early collaboration with Taylor. And they, they had some earlier collaborations prior to this with the DC Universe Online Legends comic. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, this was released digitally from DC Comics from January 2013 to December to September of 2016. And that that means not only this series, but they had a number of sequels as well. It's very odd that this title is celebrating 10 years because I just started reading Injustice, Gods Among Us, not too long ago for my own personal enjoyment. Some of it because I want to read a lot of Tom Taylor's early works before I jump into some of his later works. You know, just, you know, another reading project just like I want to do with Morrison, just like I want to do with Hickman, just like I want to do with Tom King, etc., etc., etc. So your question comes from Injustice. It is a geography question. The Injustice universe has been given two Earth designations, one in the comics and one in the animated film. Do you know what number designations this universe has been given. So there are two of them. Good luck. That's a hard question. Okay, let's go 20 years ago, January of 2003. We got Superman the 10 Cent Adventure issue kicking off the Stephen T. Siegel and Scott McDaniel run. Uh, just like the Batman 10 Cent Adventure did in January of 2002, which kicked off the Bruce Wayne murderer story. Um, this story with Siegel and McDaniel would take us up to issue 200. It would feature a new Supergirl named Cyril, who would say she's from the future, brought to the past by the Future Smiths. And, uh, I can remember liking this run. It wasn't very long. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't groundbreaking, but it was enjoyable for sure. 20 years ago, January 2003, gave us the final issue of Phil Jimenez's Wonder Woman run, Wonder Woman 188. He was part of that run from issue 164 that started in 2000. So he did about 25 issues or so. I adored that series. I sold it off to someone. I can't remember. Somebody bought it from me. Um, but it was a. it's really a fantastic Wonder Woman run. 
And um, I know Phil Jimenez is certainly very proud of it. Um, it was, uh, it had some interesting stories. It had some interesting philosophical things that he wanted to do. Obviously, it's very inspired by Perez's run. Yeah, it's just very good. So if you've never read it, it might be on the app. You should probably read it. Uh, we also got from Wildstorm, which was under DC at this point, Sleeper, One of Twelve by Brubaker and Sean Phillips. This series would also, it would be a first season and then a second season, and it would also be a catalyst for the coup d'etat line, line-wide crossover, which I never read, um, but, you know, they're continuing to do that, that concept. Uh, Venture 104 from Image Comics with artwork by Jamal Eigel. And then your question is going to come from Invincible, number one, by Robert Kirkman and Corey Walker. We talked about how 10 years ago we got Invincible 100, 20 years ago, which just seems so crazy, we got Invincible number one. It would run for 144 issues. There would be, you know, a whole bunch of spin-offs, other volumes, trade collections, a cartoon series. Season two is is in the works, or at least ready to to drop sometime this year. And they're pushing a whole bunch of Invincible 20-year anniversary stuff this year as well. So your question, this is a powers question. How did Mark Grayson learn? that his powers had kicked in in Invincible number 1. All right, let's wrap up with 30 years ago, January of 1993. January saw the birth of Vertigo as an imprint with DC Comics. So all of the titles that they decided to group under this imprint, under this banner, which were already going on, include Animal Man, Sandman, Doom Patrol, Swamp Thing, Hellblazer, and Shade the Changing Man. And in January, we would get two new titles under Vertigo, Death, the High Cost of Living, number one of three, by Gaiman, Chris Bacalo, and Mark Buckingham, and Enigma, number one, by Peter Milligan and Duncan Fregredo. 30 years ago, we were also celebrating the 30th anniversary of titles such as Amazing Spider-Man 375, Iron Man 290, and Avengers 360. And that's because they all came out, you know, relatively close together. And Marvel decided to make these particular issues the 30th, 30th anniversary. So with Amazing Spider-Man, that was by David Michelinie and Mark Bagley, who I didn't realize had a very lengthy run on Amazing Spider-Man. And with issue 375, he's pretty much just in the middle of it. Um, with 375, this is Spider-Man and Venom coming to some sort of truce. Um, you know, we've we've been having this Venom story for about 75 issues, right, if not more. Um, and he would then become, basically move from a villain to an anti-hero with this story and also with the Venom Lethal Protector miniseries, which was going on at the time. Issue number one had come out in December of 1992, and that was Venom's first miniseries. For Iron Man 290, uh, this is by Len Kaminsky and Kevin Hopgood, we get the return of Tony Stark as Iron Man, but he's not actually in the armor. He creates a new armor, Model 12, which he can control from his hospital bed, which is where he's recovering at the time. And 
they call it the telepresence armor. So if you remember that design, that began 30 years ago, Iron Man 290. Avengers 360 by Bob Harris, Steve Epning, and Tom Palmer. We are right in with the brown jacket-wearing Avengers crew, which I adored. Uh, This was part of the Gatherer saga. You had Vision. You had the first appearance of Anti-Vision. And this is where Vision, who normally, who up to this point was in his white look, would then swap bodies with the Anti-Vision and, you know, um, go back to that green and yellow color scheme. And we also get Captain America returning to the Avengers with this issue. And it was all under a copper embossed cover. I guess it was copper. I don't know if it was meant to be like bronze or what. Um, But yeah, it was one of those embossed covers. 30 years ago, January 1993, gave us the final issue of the Hawk World series. Issue number 32 by John Ostrander and Tim Tim Truman. This was a book I adored. Um, I really did. Continuity problems and all. I was really a fan of what they did with Hawk World. And it would be another six months until a new Hawkman series would start um, out of this series. We also got Wonder Woman 72. This is well within the William Messner Loeb's run. This I really just pointed out because the Brian Boland cover is one that most people probably have seen. They turned it into a statue. It's the one with Wonder Woman and all of her weapons. And she has her foot up on a pile and she's looking to the side. And Wonder Woman 72 is where this image comes from. We got Flash 74 by Mark Wade and Greg LaRoque. Barry Allen had returned to the book in Flash 73. And with this issue, more or less, we kick off the return of Barry Allen's story, which would last up to issue 79. And then with issue 80, uh, we would get Mike Ringo on the book. And eventually we would get, you know, Impulse. We would get The Road to 100. And we are just chugging along with the Mark Wade run on this book. Also 30 years ago, The Pit Number 1, which was the first appearance of that character. And your question comes from Secret Defenders Number 1, a 25-issue series that began with Roy Thomas and Andrew Coates. Roy Thomas was the co-creator of The Defenders, so now he's the co-creator of The Defenders, or Secret Defenders, I should say. So your question is a character's question. Name the four members that Doctor Strange recruited in this first issue. All right. So there are your three questions for this segment. Let's go back. uh, And we start with uh, 10 years ago. The Injustice Universe had two designations, Earth designations, and they were Earth 49 which was part of the comic book multiverse, and Earth-22, which was mentioned within the animated film. So 22 and 49. From 20 years ago, how did Mark Grayson learn that his powers had kicked in in Invincible Number 1? He was throwing a bag of trash away, and it wound up just zooming high up in the air. And that's how he finally realized that what he inherited from his father finally kicked in. And then 30 years ago, who are the four members that Doctor Strange brings together for Secret Defenders? You had Darkhawk, 
Spider-Woman, Julia Carpenter. You had Nomad, Jack Monroe. And, of course, you had Wolverine. All right, there you go. Your three questions, a little bit of comic history. As I mentioned, we will continue in another January Digest for 40, 50, and 60 years ago. I didn't know who he was. Never asked his name. Never wanted to know his name. And yet still, I always knew exactly who he was. When I was young, I used to have a nightlight. But it wasn't enough. New Comics Wednesday, New Comics Wednesday for the week of January 4th. Before I get into my recommendations, I wanted to throw in here, uh, I received uh, another package from Discount Comic Book Service. These are books from kind of like the end of November and almost all of December. I think there might be one more week of December uh, that wasn't included because, you know, they ship out at a certain time of the month. And I just thought this was a funny um, shipment as I opened it because it really speaks to a lot of what uh, what kind of comic book reader I am, I guess you can say, especially nowadays. So in this collection, I got an issue of Human Target. I got the first issue of Danger Street, which I can finally read, and then also the first issue of Justice Society of America, which I can finally finally read, which I'm looking forward to. I've been getting a few requests to do uh, a first issue special follow-up. You know, I used to do the segments, um, The Road to Danger Street, taking a look at each issue of first issue special. So I've been getting requests to, you know, follow up and actually get to Danger Street. And I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do it as a digest segment, which would be probably quick. Um... Or if I should just expand it out into a breakdown, um, you know, which would be a longer episode, a dedicated episode, so you can find it. Uh, Because, you know, I'm going to want to do it for this series because of all the stuff I learned for First Issue Special. And I'm only getting the regular covers. I did not get the alternate covers, which now I'm like, oh, the alternate covers are basically following the order of first issue special so you know the first issue um is for atlas and uh i guess the second issue is for whoever was the second issue of first issue special which i think was the green team and then i saw one for you know the fourth issue which i think is for um lady cop so it's like, ah, uh, you know, I love the regular covers, but then I also love that idea of all of these issues uh, spotlighting um, the chronological order of the issues. But it's only 12 issues, so I don't know how they're going to do uh, take on all 13 unless they skip one. So anyway, you know, what should I do? Should I do segments or should I do a breakdown uh, of this series. I think I think my heart wants to do breakdown, but we'll see. Um, all right, so then another batch of books that I got 
all focus on Titans, right? We got Nightwing 99, the alternate cover for 99, one of the alternate covers. We got Annual 2020, uh, from 2022. We got Batgirls 13, the alternate cover, which matches the 99 alternate cover, both of them by Dan Mora, which is, you know, um, Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon when they're younger, but then they are reversed when they are older as Nightwing and Batgirl. So yeah, those are great. Those are great covers. I just had to have Titans United Blood Pack number four, and then the final issue of Deathstroke Inc. number 15, which was kind of like a a quiet um, announcement that that series was coming to an end. And then finally, the next batch of books, a huge back batch, is all Crisis. My crisis corner, or basically how to get Peter to spend money on print comics. So we had Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number seven, the regular cover, heralding the dawn of the DCU. Then we had the alternate cover, which uh, I've been getting anytime they do an, do an homage to another event. And this one is for Final Crisis by Victor Bogdan, Bogdanovic, or Bogna, Bogdanovic. Um, Flashpoint Beyond, that miniseries also had alt covers taking a look at various events through the lens of like Flash running through them, but they were ratioed and they wound up being way too much to be worth collecting. And I can pull those images from online. And then the other alt cover for issue seven that I got was the George Perez tribute. I got three of them because, you know, that's what I do. And I wanted that, you know, I wanted a print version of that. Now, I haven't talked about that tribute image, and I feel like I really should. And I might do that on a future digest or maybe even on the Tower podcast because I have a lot to say about that George Perez tribute issue for Dark Crisis number seven. And then I got all the one shots Dark Crisis, Big Bang, Dark Army, Warzone. And you may think that's where my crisis buying ends, but oh no. I had to get one of the alt covers to Harley Quinn Uncovered, which was spoofing Crisis Number 7 with Ryan Sook and George Perez. And then also from Dark Horse, Quick Stops Number 2 by Phil Hester, uh, which is also a Crisis 7, uh, Crisis 7 homage cover. It says after Perez, but I think the background characters look like they're more from X-Men 136, which is very similar to Crisis number seven. So that's my that was my latest shipment. And as I was like opening them up, opening up the package, opening up the package, doing inventory, realizing, oh, look at all these Titans book. Look, look at all these crisis books. Ah, So, yeah, spending money on the crisis even to this day. Okay, here are your recommendations for the week of January 4th, starting off with a comic from Blue Fox Comics, which is where the intro music came from, Hexes Volume 1 by Simon Burks, with Lyndon White, Edge, Avki, Roy Donald, and Emilano Correa. Uh, Blue Fox Comics is based out of Scotland. There is a second volume of Hexes on their website, bluefoxcomics.com. This is for $19.99. Four supernatural horror tales set in the same universe. A man pursued by the ghost of him as a child. Uh, a man plagued with the children of his nightmares. A woman full of guilt at the loss of her son. And a sinister care home 
housing an all-devouring monster. Four stories, four artists, one universe. I wanted to just spotlight it because um, I don't know if I've ever spotlighted a comic from Blue Fox, um, but I thought that was an interesting, you know, they're out of Scotland. Um, they put out a lot of their books online. Uh, I think there was something that, you know, they talk about like the pandemic really changed their publishing format. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. From Ablaze Publishing, we have Children of the Black Sun, number one, by Dario Siccio and Letizia Cardinici for $3.99. About all of these kids who were born when the sun had turned black, and now here it is, uh, the, the black sun might return, and all of these um, children are hated by their fellow villagers. It gave me a very Children of the Corn feeling, and... That movie freaks me out, so I was like, oh boy, here's a comic kind of like the same thing. From Reve Rebellion 2000 AD, America Lost and Found the Rediscover Rediscovered Scripts by John Wagner and Colin McNeil, $24.99. This is a hardcover that takes you behind the scenes of the America story, um, and that was written 30 years ago. Uh, so this has scripts by John Wagner with in-depth commentary from the writer and talks about all the behind-the-scenes stuff. And then it presents the story itself, and it has new introductions by John Wagner and Garth Ennis. And it's a great companion piece to that story. And then from Titan Comics, for $24.99, we have Spider-Man, the first 60 years hardcover, Origins, Allies, Villains, and Stories. Basically a, uh, a reference book, coffee table reference book, uh, celebrating 60 years of Spider-Man. And they did one on Marvel for Marvel 80 years, Captain America 80 years, Fantastic Four 60 years. Um, it looks great, you know. Again, I love reference books, so I wanted to give that a shout out. There you go, your recommendations for January 4th. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Let's take this Thursday segment, Thursday, January 5th, to do just a few podcast recommendations of uh, some things that I've been part of and some other uh, notable mentions. So the Sanyo cast, episode 336, is Ryan Sanyo and myself having a conversation after more than, I don't know, it's been like eight, nine, ten years. This all stemmed because uh, of a tweet that Ryan put out that we haven't shared a microphone together since the CGS days. So we recorded a conversation, and it turned out really well. Um, uh, 
uh, and I had a great time talking with Ryan after all these many, many years. So the main premise was to discuss the question, are comics still underground? And a lot of this was in relation to comic book movies. Uh, so we get into that topic, we dig into it. There's a lot of comic book podcasting talk along the way, of course. And I think in this conversation, you know, I really came to the notion that while comic book movies are popular, um, I'm thinking that, and, and again, it's all in relation to their effect on comic books as well, and also what we as comic book readers as a community what, you know, how do we come to terms with this popularity um, that comic book movies are happening, or that comic book movies are having. Um, But in my talking about this, I realized it's not so much that comic book movies are popular, it's that Marvel movies are popular, you know. So listen to that conversation over at thesenyocast.lipson.com. I wanted to give a shout out to the Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. That podcast is celebrating 13 years. It began in December of 2009, hosted by Stella. I can remember listening to those early episodes. Um, obviously, I'm way behind on that podcast. So they're up to episode 228, which is the 13th anniversary. And you can find them both as podcasts or on their YouTube page. And the description is, ever wonder how Batgirl became Oracle? Then this is the podcast for you. Join Stella as she takes a look at the storied history of Barbara Girl Gordon, who was once Batgirl, became Oracle, and is once again Batgirl. How did this all happen? So that was an enjoyable podcast when I used to listen to it way back uh, when it began. And here it is celebrating 13 years Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, episode 166, hosted by Al Sedano, has a very small appearance and clip um, from me. Uh, This is Al's outtakes episode, all of the outtakes from 2022, basically short little snippets of conversations from uh, various interviews or conversations that didn't make, you know, uh, or, or that hit the editing floor. So... There's a very small portion that we do from the episode that I did with Al on History of the Marvel Universe, issue number three. But it's a conversation that has nothing to do with that title. So go check that out. Raging Bullets, episode 677, wraps up all of their Dark Crisis coverage, if you're interested in that event. And that is hosted, of course, by Sean and Jim. And then be sure to check out Legion Project number 39. Yes, I am self-promoting. Eric and I return to the title after that super big Superman versus Superboy storyline. And this issue, issue 39, is a quieter story focusing on Gigi Cusimano, who is one of my favorite Legion characters, and Colossal Boy. And it's a really good conversation uh, about a smaller story as opposed to a larger story. Uh, And I always enjoy talking with Eric. So I want to make sure that you are listening to the Legion project. That uh, podcast is released on Eric's feed and also on my feed as well. Usually Eric drops it first and then I drop it whenever I can as I catch up on my episodes. So that is Legion project 39. The series only ran up to issue 63 We are five years into that series, 
uh, podcast-wise. Um, but, you know, we always enjoy putting out those episodes, and we hope that you listen to The Legion Project. All right, there you go. Just some small recommendations, podcast recommendations for this week. Feedback. Feedback Friday. It is a new month. It is January. Heck, it's a new month. It's a new year. So let's take a look at all the feedback that I received in December, starting with an email from John Grigas uh, right at the end of the year. And John writes in, I had lunch with a friend this week, and I always like to talk comics with him. Mostly, it's to get good recommendations on what to read. And he writes that our favorite comics for 2023 included Catwoman Lonely City by Cliff Chiang. And John Griggis picked Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow by Tom King and Bilkis Evely. And John asks, what about you? And I thought this was a great email to kick off uh, the best of 2022 categories and segments that I want to do on the Daily Rios. This is you, the listener, providing me with topics to talk about for 2022. It doesn't have to be the normal, you know, best title, best artist. It can be best Twitter fight. It can be best cover. It can be best new comic uh, in 2022 that you read that wasn't from 2022. You know, it can just be anything. Just make it fun and um, something that I can really talk about. So John didn't necessarily provide, this wasn't part of the best of, but I thought this is a great email that I could use as a best of topic. Um, my best read for 2022. And I provided John with two selections, Defenders, the miniseries, and Many Deaths of Layla Starr. Now, both of those titles may not have all come out in 2022, or maybe they wrapped up in 2022, or maybe one of them was in 2021. I don't remember, but I read them in 2022, and these were my favorite reads for the year. Defenders is by Al Ewing, Javier Rodriguez, Alvaro Lopez. I covered this miniseries back in one of the one of the digests in June of 2022. It is, you know, it's funny. I talked about Secret Defenders in the Trivia Tuesday segment. This miniseries starts off the same way with Doctor Strange uh, using a tarot card to bring together various members into a new team. And this book was just so freaking creative and mind-bending and dealt a lot with Marvel cosmology and all of the various um, Marvel universes previous to this one. It has a lot of what makes Al Ewing great. It has a lot of what makes Javier Rodriguez great. And uh, there's the mystery of the Eternity Mask. It is so good. I had so much fun reading it, and I can't wait to read the follow-up. And then Many Deaths of Layla Starr is by Ram V, uh, Philippe Andrade, Inez Amaro. Um, I thought I covered this somewhere, but I can't find it in any of my, any of my notes. This miniseries from, from Boom Studios is just beautiful. It is haunting. It is funny, clever, sad. It has a lot of mythological stuff. It was just wonderful. It made me pay attention to Ram V as a writer. And it was such a good read. And turns out, 
by the last issue in a way that you don't really uh, expect. And that's what I liked about it. The artwork was great. Um, it reminded me of the old Keith Giffen Vexed miniseries because that was about a bunch of gods. It wasn't about like the main gods. It was about the little gods, you know, the gods of, you know, wrong numbers and the gods of why the toilet handle won't flush, you know, things like that. Um, this wasn't quite like it because it was obviously much deeper and richer, but there were some elements of, you know, the gods as a business or an organization. And this miniseries was obviously very tragic. It was like almost like a tragic comedy. And I just enjoyed it. So those two were my favorite reads of 2022. So by all means, you can send me topics and I will talk about them uh, for a future segment. So to continue with the feedback, I got another um, message from John Grigas, or this was on Twitter, who he thanks me for mentioning Ambush Bug in one of the digests. He had a uh, Ambush Bug showcase on the shelf forever that he never cracked open, so hopefully he started to read that. Jose Nieves sent me an email in December uh, about one of the George Perez celebration episodes. Made me miss him even more listening to it. The man and his art definitely impacted my young mind. Totally agree on that. And then uh, finally, two from Chris Beckett. Um, on Twitter, Chris sent me some information on the Ign Ignatz Awards. So this is because I was looking at DC Sampler number one. And the Firestorm spread by Pat Broderick shows Pat Broderick and Jerry Conway, um, but they're standing at Pat's art desk. And on the desk was an Ignatz Award. And then when I went to do the uh, some research, I was like, wait a minute, were they even around in the early 80s? Turns out, yes, they were. I should have read deeper into the Wikipedia article that I found because Chris pointed out that they... Uh, were originating, they originated out of the Orlando Con in Florida and ran from 1974 to 1994, the original run of it. And I was like, okay, well, there you go. So they were around in the 80s. We weren't able to find if Broderick was a winner or maybe Firestorm was a winner, um, but Bro Broderick was a frequent guest of that con because he was originally from Florida. So yes, the Ignatz Awards were around in the early 80s. Uh, I just, you know, I just was silly and incomplete when it came to my research at the time. And then Chris also mentions that he is improving on his trivia. This was for the December trivia. He got three out of the six questions of 500 batting, batting average, uh, especially with questions from 20, 30, and 40 years ago. To which I replied, I don't know if I would have been able to answer the question about who is the co-creator, the artist that co-created Jason Todd. And he wrote that it was an educated guess because I gave the era plus the issue number so you can kind of narrow it down, which totally makes sense. But not that it was a total surprise to me, but I guess when I asked that question about who was the artist that created the pre-crisis Jason Todd, um, I was like, oh, right, yeah, of course, it's that guy. So there you go. So there you go. That is the feedback that I received. Um, there were certainly more, some small snippets on Twitter, people retweeting things, liking things. I always enjoy that. Thank you for that. 
and I will continue to compile your feedback for the month of January. You know where to send me email, peter at thedailyrios.com. Go visit the Daily Rios website or Instagram. Follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Give me a review or follow me on your favorite podcast catcher. I am on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. If I'm not where you want me to be, let me know. Send me some best of nominations or topics. Send me some book club recommendations. You should have just heard the second one that I dropped with Chris Beckett on uh, Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom, Triumph and Torment. This has been The Daily Rios, episode 597 for Saturday, January 7th, 2023. Talk to you soon. Meet your new secret weapon. Wanda? Pietro? Ex-girlfriend? Worse, she's my sister. 